Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. We are, as you know, going into the final sermon in our Amazing Grace sermon series, week five. We made it. Uh, and so for the last five sermons, we have been hearing about grace. And you would already know that grace is an essential part of who our God is. Uh, one of the, the definitions that was given throughout the series was that grace is something that is given freely and generously with no strings attached. You know, sometimes as humans, when we give gifts, sometimes there's like, you know, those kind of strings attached, you know, expect something back, you know, uh, give you a bite of my pie today, you can buy me a pie tomorrow. Why do we always go straight to food? I don't know. Uh, but grace, grace is a really important part of who our God is. John 1 says that our Father is full of grace and full of truth. Um, an example that I heard one pastor give, and I thought it was really interesting, was that he said, if God was to, if Jesus, sorry, was to appear in this room right now, today, in the physical flesh, if he was to suddenly appear, um, he could do that if he wanted to, you know. Who do you think he would approach first? Who do you think he would go and talk to first? You know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, Mm, would he go up to the worship team and say, you know, shot Benna, those were some awesome chords you were playing there during worship. You know, would he go to our leaders and start a strategic discussion on how to best uh, lead our church into 2020? You know, would he get into a theological discussion with all the brain boxes in here? You know who you are. But, you know, looking at how Jesus conducted himself, the people that he hung out with, the people that he singled out when he was amongst the crowd, I have a feeling that he would probably want to approach first, not that he loves anyone more than anyone else or plays favorites, but I have a feeling that he might be interested in approaching first the person who is maybe struggling with sin or someone whose heart is quite far away from him today. And, you know, when I heard this pastor give this example, I thought, man, I feel like, I feel like that's quite accurate, you know, because that's the kind of uh, way he conducted himself. You know, he hung out with, the Bible says he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors must be like worst sinners or something you know he hung out with the worst of the worst he spent his time he ate dinner he went to their houses um, that's the kind of God that we serve you know he's a God of grace um, he's more interested in what he does for us than what we can do for him Jesus said I came to seek and to save those who are lost our God is full of grace and you know, there's so many sides to this grace. And over the past five weeks, we've looked at these different uh, sides of God's grace. On week one, we looked at God's abundant grace. 
and how it transforms our relationship with God. On week two, we talked about God's justifying grace and how it transforms our eternity. On the third week, we talked about God's sanctifying grace and how it transforms our behavior. And last week, we looked at sufficient grace and how God's grace is sufficient for us during hard times. And so today, for the final uh, sermon in this series, we're going to be looking at God's inviting grace and how God transforms our devotional life. In some ways, I think that this is one of the most important aspects of God's grace, uh, God's inviting grace. Uh, And the scripture that we'll be looking at today is found in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, and I'll read it for us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let's talk about this amazing grace. Why is it so amazing? You know that word amazing? We throw it around a lot. You know, sometimes um, we say something is amazing, but it's not really that amazing. Sometimes um, the worship team tease me because I say that word a lot, amazing. Oh, that, that note was amazing. That song was amazing. And they just laugh because I need to expand my vocabulary and learn some new words. Um, but let's think about it. Why is it so amazing? You know, all of us who are saved in this room, you know, all of us at one point in time, we were amazed by the grace of God when we got saved. You know, when we were sinners and we were in desperate need of a savior, and God's grace came and saved us. You know, we were amazed back then. But a question I'd like to ask you now is, are you still amazed? Are you still amazed by the grace of God? You know, some of you have been walking with God for for years now, five, 10, 20 plus years. And you know, when you've been walking with God for a while and you kind of don't struggle with the things that you used to struggle with, you know, you stopped swearing, or some of us have stopped swearing, you know, stopped smoking, stopped partying, um, you know, you may think, yeah, I serve in the church, I'm a leader, you know, I lead a small group, it's very small, just you, no, just kidding, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, as you mature in your walk with God, you may forget, and you may start to think, oh, Maybe I don't really need grace as much as I used to. You'd never say it, but sometimes we think it, right? And so through this series, we want you to be amazed with God's grace. We want you to be amazed today and stay amazed for the rest of your days. We want you to be just as amazed by God's saving grace that he saved you with as you are today in his inviting grace. And so, you know, it's not just Ian Southside, it's not just us 
as Ken mentioned, it's not just us who are going through this amazing grace series. It's actually our Every Nation Churches worldwide who are going through this uh, sermon series of amazing grace uh, right now. And so it's pretty important. And the reason why we're all wanting to talk about God's amazing grace is, is because we need to understand grace. Did you know that your understanding of grace impacts everything in your life? You know, there are so many incorrect ideas of grace out there. You know, in one extreme, I've seen people who, um, they treat God like a doormat. You know, they use his grace as, a, as an excuse to do whatever they want, to live a life even of immorality, rebellion, and sin. You know, they say they love God, but yet they still do the very things that God hates. They carry on in their sinful habits without even thinking about it. Sad to say, but things like sexual immorality, drunkenness, coarse jokes, stealing, lying, cheating, yada, 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 they're rampant, not just outside the church, but inside the church as well. Even things like tithing and giving offerings, which the Bible is pretty clear about. I looked it up. I looked up the statistics. And according to nonprofitssource.com, only between 10 and 25% of church members tithe. So what about the other 75%? All the 10 to 25% in here are like, eh, looking around. <laughs> you know, we take the name of Jesus and calling ourselves Christians, but yet we still refuse to walk in obedience in these basic foundational, in these basic foundational areas. You know, some people say, oh, no, nah, it's all good. Yeah, grace, man, grace, God's grace. God, God's a forgiving God. God's a God of grace, which he is. But that is an incorrect view of grace. On the other extreme, there's this thing called rowboat theology in that some people think that life is like a river and the current is taking everyone to hell. But God's grace, in God and his grace, he's given us oars. You know those paddle things? He's given you oars, and with those oars, you can paddle and paddle and row your way against that current. And if you keep on rowing, you'll make it. You'll get to heaven. In other words, God's grace only works if you do the work. You know, if you keep on rowing, keep on working hard, keep on being a good Christian, you know, make good choices, do your best to do good things, more good things than bad things then you'll get to heaven. But if you ever stop rowing, see you later. You know, they think that God's grace only works if you do what's right, if you do this, if you do that. You know, rowing, rowing, rowing. That's not actually amazing grace. That's not amazing at all, right? That's just amazing cardio or something. I don't know. Some of us are not that amazing at cardio, let's be honest. You know, some Christians, they may not realize it, you know, you may not realize it, but sometimes we have this idea of grace, this incorrect idea of grace, in that if you make a mistake, if you sin, you think, oh, that's it. 
I've lost it, I'm going to hell. That is actually an incorrect view of God's grace. You are not made righteous because you do righteous things. We are made righteous because of the grace of God. And then we just naturally do righteous things. You know, every, every other religion is all about what you do, what you do for your God. But Christianity is the only faith where it's all about what God has done for us. When you have a sound understanding of God's grace, when you have a correct view of God's grace, you know that everything that you have is only because he gave it to you. When you've got that kind of robo kind of theology, when you're doing the rowing, you know, yes, God gave you the paddles, but it's you doing it all. That's when things like, man, I worked so hard to get here. You know, all my life I had to fight. You know, that kind of mindset kind of sets in where you feel like you're entitled to, a, to God's grace. But when you have a sound understanding of God's grace in your life, you know that you are nothing without him. You may, you may be successful. You may have lots of zeros on the end of the, your bank balance, like the right kind of zeros, not the wrong kind of zeros. When you have that mindset of God's grace, you know that you are only here because of God's grace. Everything that I have, everything that I am, where I am today is only because of him. And when I have that solid understanding, I can't help but live righteously. That doesn't mean I'm perfect because those of you who know me know that I am so not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. But a sound understanding of God's grace in your life, it will naturally become fruitfully obvious to those around you that you're a child of God. God's grace not only forgives me and saves me, but it sustains me. It transforms me, it strengthens me, and it gives me his Holy Spirit power to do the amazing and impossible things that God has called me to do. You know, God's inviting grace is what we're looking at today. And so, you know, it's always exciting when you get invited to a special occasion, to a special event. This is a photo that I took when I went to a wedding a few months ago. Pretty cool, eh? Pretty flash. You know, I got an invite to this wedding. The invites were a flash. You know, you could tell that there were a lot of um, effort put into it, you know. And when we turned up to this wedding, it was set up beautifully. You know, we even had those, that's wood. You know, somebody, I don't know, got some flash wood scissors or something and cut out our names. It was just us that got it, not everyone. No, just kidding. Everyone had their names, whatever. But everything was set up so beautifully. It looked expensive. And because these were close friends of mine, I knew how much effort had gone into the preparation of this special event. A lot of thought, a lot of care, and a lot of planning. But you know what? Even though this special event was amazing, 
It was for one specific time on one day only, ever. If I was to read the invite and try and go there again, they wouldn't be there. It would be just me. There'd be no flash food, there'd be no flash name cards, because that invite was for that day. But the invitation that God gives us through his grace is open all the time, anytime, day or night. This is how invitations work on the human level. But today we're talking about a different kind of invitation that is offered to us. A lot of thought and a lot of care was placed into planning this invitation that has been extended to us by God. The venue is set up beautifully and it was very expensive. But the fact that God invites us, not just one time, but all time, he gives us a constant open invitation to enter into his presence at any time. This, that is amazing. That is the amazing inviting grace of God. Amaz this amazing inviting grace of God transforms my daily devotional time of, oh, it's time to spend time with Jesus, better open up my Bible, do my Bible reading, otherwise I'm not a good Christian. It changes that into a real life, passionate relationship. You know, as we read earlier, we are coming into God's presence through a perfect high priest. Hebrews 4, 14, I'll read that verse again. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. You know, in the, the Old Testament, they needed priests. Uh, not like the priests that we hear about today, you know, in the Catholic church, it's a very different picture to the priests back in the biblical times. And so the priest's job was to go to God on behalf of the people. So because of sin, there was a huge chasm, a huge gap between us and God. You like that there? This is far. It's like a huge gap. Because of sin, us as people, we couldn't just approach God. But God in his providence provided a way through a priest. And those are the priests who had to offer these um, sacrifices on the people's behalf. In those days, if people wanted to come and worship God, they had to bring a sacrifice. They couldn't just come empty-handed. There needed to be a sacrifice in order for them to gain access to God. And in Leviticus 1, it outlines, you know, it was quite an ugly process. There was blood flying here and there to pay, you know, the, the, an, the perfect animal that they had to bring in as a sacrifice had to be slaughtered and the blood thrown from side to side in order to pay the price for the sin so that people would have access to God. And that's what the priest had to do. He presided over the sacrifice so that people could be reconciled to God. And, you know, in Leviticus 1, it talks about how, as the worshiper, if you wanted to worship God, you had to bring the animal, uh, you had to lay your hands on the animal, and then slaughter it. Um, and by laying your hands on the animal, you were saying, my sins are now placed on this sacrifice, and I'm able to have access to God. 
that was like an ugly process, like what I said. It was an imperfect solution to an eternal problem. And that's why God sent Jesus to bridge that gap. Not only does Jesus offer the sacrifice like the Old Testament high priest did, but he actually was the sacrifice. He was the reconciliation. And so why was he the perfect high priest? There are two dynamics about Jesus that make him the perfect high priest. The first one is that Jesus is like us. He is the perfect high priest because he is like us. He became completely human when he came to earth. He was completely God and completely human. So he knows everything that we struggle with. He knows what it's like to be brokenhearted, to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be lied to, to be tempted. He knows exactly the struggles that we go through. He's been hurt before, falsely accused, abandoned, just like us. We have a high priest who is not so high that he doesn't understand us. He knows exactly what you and I are going through. And the second reason why he's the perfect high priest is because he is not like us. He has never disobeyed God. He has never stopped trusting God and tried to do things his own way. And that's who we have as our advocate right now, as our high priest is we have this Jesus, this perfect high priest who is like us, but not like us. And we need to cling with passion and desperation to this great high priest. Verse 16 that I read earlier, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, sometimes, you know, um, you may think, oh, that's great that Jesus uh, died for my sins and that I reconciled to God. But right now, I have this huge thing going on. I have a huge emergency in my life. You guys ever felt like that? You know, yes, they're all singing and worshiping in church, but right now, I'm desperate. I need help. So what should I do? It says here, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. Mercy is what we need during those urgent emergency times, those panic mode times. And we may receive it when we approach his throne of grace. And we may find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, I've always wanted to go to England haven't been there yet but you know I a lot of my family have been there some of them live there and they always send photos of on post photos on Facebook of them at the the palace you know and um, not that I ever get jealous when I look at the photos not that I've always wanted to go and they're there whatever but you know one thing that kind of you know, it's, it's, you see, have, has anyone seen those photos that people post when they go to England and go to the Buckingham Palace? That's one of my favorite accents is that posh Queen's accent. Anyway. But, you know, the photos are always of outside the gates. Always, you know, kind of like the White House. 
it's very rare to see selfie, you know, in front of the White House, like actually inside the White House, you know, inside Buckingham Palace. Why? Because you can't just go in. You'll probably get attacked or shot or tackled or something if you try. You can't just walk in to the gates, let alone approach the throne in the throne room. But you know what? Because of what Jesus has done, because of what his atonement sacrifice has done for us, we can walk right on in to the throne of grace. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what's happening in your life. Because of Jesus, you can walk right into the throne room of grace and speak with God. We can come, the Bible says we come in confidence. You know, that means in transparency and honesty, just come as you are. You know, you don't have to fix yourself before you enter in. You just come as you are. And, and your, your king, your father, he is so happy to see you. You know, growing up, confidence was not really a word that I would have used to describe myself. Um, I was never very confident. Um, I was very shy. Still, still, you know, pretend to be confident, but still sometimes struggle with shyness, timid, timidity, and quite a fearful person. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking around and I can see some of you guys. I know that you guys are weird like me. I was a huge daddy's girl growing up. And I know some of you guys are the same. Uh, this is me and my dad. Some of you may think, wow, you've gained heaps of um, friends. And yeah, anyway. One place that I always felt confident was with this guy here. You know, no matter what he was doing, this was me. I, maybe I was spoiled. Some people, like Ulu says I was spoiled. I don't know, whatever. You know, but whatever he was doing, if he was reading his Bible, if he was drinking a cup of tea, even if he was talking to visitors who had come over, because, you, you know, obviously he's a pastor, you know, I could just walk up and, you know, take whatever he was doing and hop into his lap. And as you can see in that photo, I'm quite a bit taller than him, you know, crouching down. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't care. You know, I was very confident all the time to just come and just hijack his day. And uh, Ulu would always, like, you know, Ulu, you guys know, he's known me my whole life. He would always look at me and go, you are so weird. And the words he would say was, man, if I tried that with my dad, I think I'd get a suplex. And what was the other word he said? Oh, fuki slam. You know, and, and I understand that, you know, not everyone... Uh, has had that, but, you know, after he always talks about, you know, being a tough guy and stuff, I see that our kids also have that same confidence in that they can climb into his lap, even though now he is officially uh, the shortest person in our household. <laughs> you know, they find it funny when they just come and they just hop into his lap uh, and just hang out with him. And that's the kind of confidence that God wants us to have when we enter his presence, you know, knowing that it's okay to be here. No matter who you are or what you've done, he is happy to see you. He invites you anytime, day or night. God wants you to have that confidence because he paid a very dear price 
for you to be able to walk into his presence and speak with him. That scripture starts with the words, since Jesus, you know, since we have Jesus, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And we find mercy and grace. Grace changes you, you know. We sing that song, Grace Changes Everything. It, it so does. Understanding God's grace, it can change your life. And what a difference the inviting grace of God makes, you know. And we need to hold fast to that. We need to hold fast to that inviting grace. Because you know what? It makes our worship passionate. It makes our prayer life come to life. It transforms the way you pray. You know, you don't just pray because, oh yeah, I should pray because I'm going to eat. You know, when you have that grasp of that inviting grace of God, you understand that when you pray, you're doing the very thing that Jesus died to give you. He, he died to give you access to be able to connect and communicate with God. My last point that I want to talk about today is that God's inviting grace delivers us from apathy. You know, if you talk to any church leader or any leader in a, in a you know, spiritual setting, they'll say that one of the biggest things that we struggle with uh, in New Zealand is apathy. Apathy means a lack of interest or a lack of enthusiasm or concern. You know, New Zealand is quite notorious for having that attitude of whatevs, sweet as. You know, the very opposite of that word apathy is interest, enthusiasm, passion. And that word passion, I think, is a great way to describe the way that Jesus feels about you and me. You know, there was a high price that was paid uh, for us to have this inviting grace, for us to be able to enter into his presence. You know, sometimes we don't value it because we lose sight of the price that was paid. You know, when I was at university, uh, my older brother was four years ahead of me, and I would go, and when I was at high school, I'd go to study at the university library with him. And he had some friends who he hung out with who had been at university before him. And uh, he came, did his degree, finished, left. And then I came, uh, and I noticed that I saw some of those same people that were there before him still at uni. And I wondered, oh, are they doing like a third PhD or something, you know? Um, but then as I started to kind of be at university a little bit more, I noticed that they would just skip class like nothing, you know. But, <laughs> here's some giggles over here. No one in this room, of course. You know, I noticed that they would just skip classes. They would go entire semesters having paid for a class or a paper, and they wouldn't go once. But that paper, back when I was at uni, which was years ago, 
Um, the papers were about six to seven hundred dollars each. Uh, but I think the thing about the student loan, sometimes, you know, you don't see the money going through, you know, you just like tick it on a computer and then it's all paid for and then, you know, you don't see the price that is being paid. And so maybe a reason why sometimes we can become a little bit apathetic about the grace of God is because we, we forget, we allow ourselves to forget the price that has been paid. Not to say that I was a very diligent student because I wasn't. I just had another thing at home called parents with a belt. Yeah. So I never really, anyway. But you know, apathy is a dangerous thing. But God's inviting grace can help us to have victory over that. Jesus is the epitome of passion. He is the absolute opposite of apathy. But we must make sure that we hold fast. You know that scripture that I've read over and over today. We must hold fast to him and his inviting grace. And never lose, lose sight of the price that has been paid for us to be able to enter in and commune with him. Let us pray.